Well, good morning, everyone, and let me uh, add my welcome to you if this is your first time. And I say that because um, I actually haven't been coming to this church for that long myself, so I feel like newly welcomed. Uh, my wife and I have only been here since March, and when I was asked to speak, I thought, well, maybe the best thing I should do is just start by telling you like a little bit about myself so that we feel like we know each other. Is, is that okay? Well, I'm glad you said yes, because I was going to do it anyway, but it's just, it's nicer that we agree, so... So just a bit of backstory. So I was born in London, England. You'll be able to hear my accent, and some people ask me sometimes. And I was born right in the heart of London. So my parents moved into London to be involved in a, leading a church in, a, in like a high-density housing commission area. So my LGA was like 800,000 people, and it was 95% government housing. So it wasn't like little pockets of government housing. It was like a it was like a walking wardrobe of government housing, lots and lots of pockets. It was a big thing. So it was pretty messy. It was pretty high crime. And um, the church was really missional. They were there to bring the light of Jesus into a very dark place. So our church was made up of a, like a rough and ready demographic. You know, we had like our windows were bulletproof. And during Sundays, people were trying to, kids were trying to smash the windows. I can't tell me how many times we were robbed. They're often just kind of like drunk people wandering in and shouting stuff. And that was particularly awkward if they were preaching. Um, no, that never happened. That, that never happened. But it was messy. Um, it was messy. So I, um, on the one hand, like have a really privileged upbringing of two Christian parents. But on the other hand, you know, I saw some things in life that weren't that great. But um, I became a Christian, my mum says. I don't remember. When I was three years old, she said I prayed a cute little prayer and that my behavior, even at that point, improved. Oh, wow. Now, I don't, I don't remember that, but that's what my mum says. Um, but I really made my own commitment when I was a teenager. Did someone say something or is there an echo? Oh, great. Yeah, I don't mind a bit of back chat, by the way. I like it. But um, yeah, so I made my own commitment when I was a teenager. You know, I think God made himself real to me and I chose to change my life. And in a sense, you know, some people have super dramatic stories of like BC and then, you know, they became a Christian. Mine is a, like a little bit plain. I'm really, really grateful to God that I have a plain story. And I pray that my kids have the plainest story of anyone ever. So um, obviously from then on, um, I grew up, did school, I worked a bit, I travelled a bit and so on, but I carried in my heart a desire to be involved in church and I wanted to move abroad and I spent a few years praying about where to go. I tried here, there, it didn't work out and um, one day I was just watching TV and I saw an ad, it was like, come to Australia, it will be great. So I did, uh, I prayed about it and it, it, here I am and you didn't lie, I'm still here, it is great. And um, I came with a, with a friend to be involved in a church plant that was in Sydney. I ended up working at that church for around 10 years. I finished about two years ago. And while I was there, I went to Bible college. And that's where I met my wife, Cindy, who was studying a Master of Counseling at that time. And um, we met, and um, I mean, just looking at her, you can see she was interested pretty quickly. <laughs> you, you can see and understand why. No, I'm just... <laughs> There was strong mutual interest from the very beginning. And after two years of meeting, we got married, and that was around eight years ago. Uh, we have two kids, Florence, who's five, Saxon Wild, who's three, soon to be four. And I can tell you everything about our relationship then with two truths, okay, two truths. First truth is we love our kids very, very much like we do. Second truth, we are not having any more kids. <laughs> Read between the lines is everything you need to know. Florence and Saxon Wild. 
So um, what brought us to Newcastle? We only moved up here uh, a week before Christmas, and so not that long ago it was work. So for me, when I left church, I started working for an organisation called CAP, and CAP trains um, church-based volunteers to walk alongside people in need. And um, it's a real fit for me because I, I, I love the church, and I love talking about Jesus, and I have a special heart for people who perhaps haven't had the, the best start in life because that's kind of it was in my veins, the missional route. And I mean, I have a bit more time than I thought, and just to share, like, when we, when we came to this community, we felt like a resonance with it because it felt like us. It just feels like a really, like, authentic, real group of people who are really serious about their faith, but they don't have all the pretenses and high-fluting words. It just feels genuine. Like, so we just, we just really appreciate the welcoming environment, and thanks so much for making us feel at home. And if you're visiting for the first time, I hope that you feel really at home, too. So that's me. Like, that's the contours of the story without all the bad bits. Yes, it's, yeah. So now I feel like we're friends. I can, um, like, get into what I came to share today. So what am I talking about? Well, let me ask you a question. And Scott's kind of already alluded to it, but, like, who's looking forward to spring and summer? Hand, hands up, yes. Like, everyone. Would you say you're looking... <laughs> two hands in the air at the back. Who's looking forward to it? Maybe even more than normal. Yes, I think everyone, right? Like, I think we're just in a phase where, like, it's just been a tough two years. Uh, we've had, we had the bushfires, you remember them? Then we had, like, floods, we've had a global pandemic, we've had, like, global instability, there's the financial stuff that's hitting, it's just, like, thing after thing after thing. It was a poor summer, heaps of rain, cold, it's been a cold winter. I think everyone's over it, and we're just, like, hoping for the sun to come out and life to get a bit better. It's already been said. See, so I was kind of thinking, well... What, what does faith look like in this moment? Like, uh, we finished the series last week. We're starting a new one next week. This is just an in-between. It's like, well, what, what does faith look like in this season? How do we have faith in a moment where everyone is feeling just a little bit over it and they're hoping for things to change? That's the question I'm asking. And really, what I want to say is that, you know, when life isn't easy, like it has been for the last couple of years, it could really shake our faith or it could strengthen it. Rather than turning us away from God, it should draw us to him. Because we have hope that is in something so much deeper than the sunshine. That transpasses all our circumstances. And that's the thing that we need to look to. So the way we're going to do that, I'm going to read a passage from Romans 8 in a minute. Just going to bring up a couple of points and hopefully that will help us get through. But shall I, can I pray? Is that right? Mm. Yeah, God, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. We thank you that you care so much more deeply for us than any of us could ever imagine. And we thank you for the power of your word that it transforms us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're present in each one of our hearts. And we just pray, Lord God, that you'd fill the room with yourself. You're already here, but to an even greater degree. And I pray that your word would bring transformation in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read from Romans 8. Uh, it might not appear on the screen because I didn't tell the guy that, but that was the passage. But... I'll read, I'll read it to you anyway. Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. Paul says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. So there's an awful lot in there, but I just want to start by firstly saying, like, God is good, like, he's really, really good, which means in his creation, he's just, like, filled it with good things, like, God is excessively generous, so when he made the world, he made it, like, way better than it ever needed to be, it's just full of good things. James 1, 17 says, um, every good gift comes from above, like, everything good on earth, it comes from, from God. So I just like underline a few things, for example, like food. Food's good, right? Yeah, it's good. Now, you think God didn't need to make flavor. He didn't need to. He could have just, it could have been purely functional just to give us energy. Like we could have just been like pandas chewing on bamboo, chop, chop, chop. Yeah, dull. But he, he, he just came up with all this stuff, all these spices and stuff, just to make it that delicious. You know, if you were to make the mouth and tongue, if you were to design it like God from scratch, how many taste buds do you think you'd make? Five, ten, fifty. You know, God made ten thousand. Ten thousand taste buds. It's like one for every dish. It's like it's excessive, right? So that you could get the whole flavor. Coffee. I mean, I'm amazed. Coffee, everyone loves coffee. It's just a bean. It's just one bean. But somehow in it, you just do a few things. For those who drink batch brew, it's like you can get it on this side of the world. It tastes blueberries that, like blueberries that come from this side of the world. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. It's delicious. I think of like creation, what Scott was saying. God was watching these breaks with no one surfing them for thousands and thousands of years, thinking, when is someone going to invent that surfing? That's what I made them for. He made just the world so, so beautiful. Like every day. It starts with sunrise. Sunrise is never, ever the same again. It's different every day, but it's so much more beautiful than it needed to be. And then a few hours later, you've got sunset. It's the same thing. It's just incredible. And then when the sun goes down and the stars come out, it's just like, it's just beautiful. Like God has filled the world with an, with an excess of his goodness. He made it way better than he needs to be. And there's so much to be thankful for. These gifts are gifts from God to humanity to bless us, to bring us joy even for those people who don't even like God, they still get to experience something of his goodness because he's so good. But in this passage, it talks about creation being in a state of frustration. It's in bondage to decay. It needs to be liberated. Like it's broken and something that's not working. And it uses a metaphor. It's like groaning like a mother in childbirth. And you could read that and go, oh yeah, okay, that sounds bad. But if you've had kids or you've watched your partner have kids, I can see someone's not that far away. <laughs> That's a pretty extreme metaphor. Like, m- my wife, Cindy, you can see she's a picture of dignity and grace and elegance. For her, it was just a hoochoo. Oh, beautiful baby. That's, that's how it happened. Right? It was just like that. Yeah, and they've been listening to us ever since. Wow. But let's just say from, from friends, I've heard different stories. From, from friends. When it happened, I was not ready. I, I didn't know 
that humans could make noises like, like that. To be, like, there was like a, a groan, a, a face of pain and anguish that came from a deep visceral place that I've never ever been and I don't want to ever go to. It was like animalistic. Like, that, was, that was huge. That was huge for me. I wasn't ready. For Paul to use that metaphor, he knows what he's saying. He's saying that the world is broken. It's like in a state of groaning, longing, anguish for it to be recovered to what it was made to be. He's saying that when the fall happened in Genesis 3 and those following chapters, that the effects of sin are so long-lasting, so evasive, spreading like cancer through the world, it became subject to death and decay, that every single human relationship was fractured, let alone fractured with God. It was destroyed to the point that God says in the story of Noah that he, he regrets making mankind at all because it was so, so damaged. Like only an event of cosmic proportions could ever turn that mess around. It was so damaged by the effects of sin. Creation as in us and the world that he's made. And we celebrate, obviously, that cosmic event every Christmas when little baby Jesus was born because he came to turn the whole thing around, right? God so loved the world, instead of just kind of letting it go, he decided to come into the world, not to condemn it, but to save it because he loves us so, so deeply. He's incredible. But we have to understand the Bible says we're in a state where the world is broken. It is not what it was made to be. It's not originally as he intended But why is that helpful for us to understand today in the season that we're in? I think it's really helpful for us to think about that because if you're a Christian and you have an underdeveloped theology of suffering, if you think that, you know, when I become a Christian, I pray and stuff, everything's just going to be fine, that means when things get difficult, your faith is going to really struggle because you won't know what to do. Because it kind of, for some people, can go like this. It's like you become a Christian, then something difficult happens. The last few years has been difficult. It happens. You go, oh, that, this is hard. That wasn't meant to happen. Life was meant to be great. You know, does, does God love me? God doesn't love me. God's not here with me. And you can drift off further and further away from him and harden your heart and just go, Christianity doesn't work. And for some people, that looks like moving on for, from church. And from others, it looks like in your heart, you move away from God, but actually you can sit in church for years and years and years and never face the reality of the fact that you don't really believe it anymore. You just don't want to admit it. How it's supposed to happen is like this. Stuff happens that's tough, and it's really tough. It can be a really difficult life at times. What it should point us to is the opposite. Go, God, I'm so grateful that you came and died to turn this thing around because without you there's no hope. I'm so grateful that you're here in it with me, that you're the great high priest who knows and understands what it's like to suffer because you suffered too, voluntarily, because you love me. And I'm going to turn my pain into prayer. I'm going to ask you to change this circumstance. It's the first thing Jesus taught us to pray is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as as it will be when all things are made right. Let it be like that now. This world wasn't designed for sickness. I'm going to pray, God, your kingdom come. Let this sickness be gone. In Jesus' name, I'm going to turn my pain into prayer. So understanding that life isn't always easy 
helps us to cope when it's not. And it actually gives us the opportunity to turn those difficult moments into worship. I think the other thing these verses teach us is that we're in a period of waiting, like a liminal space. We know Jesus, but he's not yet fully, the victory that he's won has not yet fully been realized. So we're in a kind of waiting. So it says in verse 4, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. What Paul is saying is like logical. He's saying you can't hope for something that you've already got because it's not hope. You can only hope for something that you do not have. He's talking about our kind of relationship to Jesus, saying we, are, we have a relationship with Jesus, but we're hoping for so much more. Like, let, me, let me put that into a kind of an illustration. If, have you ever been to a restaurant and you sit down and you look at the menu and it just looks like other menus? You're not sure what to order. And then like a waiter or someone walks past with like a delicious tray of food and you just kind of watch it go by and your mouth doesn't have eyes, but it thinks that it does and it kind of opens and follows like... Has that ever happened to you? It's like well, you see something and you think, I want that dish. I don't need to look at this menu. Whatever that is, I want that. And then you order it. And then you, once you've ordered it, you're in a space of waiting. You know what you're going to get. Your mouth thinks it's already tasted it, but it's not yet arrived on your plate. You're just, you're just waiting for it to happen. I think that that's the kind of space we find ourselves in as Christians. And I don't say that to undermine in any way our current experience of Christ. We've had an experience of Christ and it's changed our lives. For many of us, we'd say he is the best thing about our life. But there's so much more to experience. Like, let me put that into kind of biblical language. Paul said, you know, we see as through a glass darkly. Like, we see dimly. We just see a dim reflection of what we all be. We don't see the full picture. There's so much more to see. Or another way, the Apostle John. He was said to be the disciple that Jesus loved. He was the one who was reclining on Jesus' shoulder at the Last Supper. Like, those two were close. They spent years together. You think, well, John must really know and understand and love Jesus. What a relationship they have. But John is also the same John who on the island of Patmos has a revelation of the risen Jesus. And he sees Jesus in all his glory. And as he sees him, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He's had an incredible life-changing encounter of Jesus but then he has another one that takes him way, way, way beyond anything he knew or understood. The same is true for each and every one of us. Whatever experience you've had of Jesus, however good he's been, however much you love him, you have to understand that there's going to be a moment when you're going to see him face to face and you're going to know this is what I was made for. This is who I was made for. This is who I really am, to be loved by God. And there's no barriers. There's nothing getting in the way. However good you think he is, however kind, however generous, however strong, however beautiful, however caring, however compassionate, he's going to exceed your expectations again and again and again, absolutely blow your mind. And you're going to fall at your feet and just not know what to do. So we're in a space of we've experienced something and it's great. But we're hoping for something that's so much greater. And I think that's important to understand, especially in this season, 
Because I don't know that everyone realises that they're in this waiting period. And they live their life as if this, this is it. This is what I've got. This is the important stuff. And so what they do is they try and make this life as good as it possibly can be to kind of fill that need. And you think, well, if I go to the right school and I get the right degree and I get the right job and I find the right partner, I can just build my life towards a happy, comfortable retirement. And that's great. But then when circumstances like the last few years happen, your kingdom crumbles, then you crumble with it. Because your faith is based on on what you see in these circumstances. But this passage encourages us to look way beyond those circumstances to something so much bigger and so much greater. So when you go through difficult stuff, it's hard. But actually, your hope primarily rests in in Jesus, what he has done for you, what he will do for you, and the joy of his presence in the future. And just to like underline that, I think, you know, we are people obsessed with home ownership and, you know, me and my wife would like to buy. We're in a similar spot. But just to be provocative, if you own a home, it's, it's not your home. It's temporary accommodation. Home is with Jesus in the next life. That, that's home. And he's preparing a real home for you. And I can't promise you a four-bed, two-bath with two dogs domestically trained by the Lord God Almighty himself. I, I'm not like saying what it looks like at all. I'm just saying that is home, and we're, we're passing through right now. We're aliens and strangers in this world. So don't get too obsessed with what happens in the here and now. It's not worth just going worrying and spending your whole life about the here and now. Think long-term. Think into the future. Think into the next life. And if things don't work out, you know, that's not easy but our hope is in something so much greater. Well, I think I'm going to wrap this up right now. So if we could have the band come, that would be great. I just want to bring these um, thoughts together. We have been through a difficult season. And, you know, maybe it's not going to be sunny in spring. Maybe it's going to rain or winter. Maybe things are going to be difficult. Well, I don't know. I obviously moved here for the warmer weather, so if it does get sunny, I'm going to be happy, so there's no condemnation for enjoying sunshine. I just want us to say our faith has to be something rooted in something so much deeper than our circumstances. There's a future and a hope so glorious and so wonderful. That's what we're hanging out for. That's what really matters. And so whatever happens in this space, in this life right now, sometimes it's going to be hard, sometimes it's going to be easy, there's always an opportunity for joy. There's always an opportunity to praise because God has so been so good to us. That's why it's, having faith in this season is so important. That, that's what it looks like. It ultimately looks like fixing our eyes on something so much bigger and so much better and understanding that just because you're a Christian, life's not going to be perfect. It's not always going to be easy, but God is still good and God is still faithful. God, I just thank you that you are so, so good and it's just so nice to spend time like reflecting that one day we're going we're gonna to see you face to face. And as Paul says in this verse, that our present sufferings are nothing compared with the future glory we will see and experience. There's just nothing. Lord God, and we'll look back and go, it was all worth it, Lord God, because we're face to face with you. That's where we want to be. And I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you or perhaps rediscovering their faith. Lord God, that something of your love would touch touch their heart, even as we finish this final song. Lord God, you'd awaken a love 
and an understanding for you, Lord God. In Jesus' name.